It's a privilege, it's an honor. God is helping us, every one of us, to understand Him and to come to the place of accuracy in order to fulfill His will. I'm actually not going to be preaching or teaching. I just feel like reasoning with you from the Scriptures. Because you know the caliber of persons in this hall, <laughs> they are all dangerous people. So, I'm not teaching, I'm not preaching, I just want to reason with you from the scriptures. Amen? So since it is reasoning, you are not going to hold me responsible. Am I right? Dr. Steve, are you hearing what I'm saying now? I'm only going to reason, I'm not preaching, I'm not teaching. I'm only reasoning with you, so you don't hold me responsible. Glory. <laughs> okay, let's kickstart this by opening to the book of Acts chapter 18. Actually, we'll be talking about the kingdom of God and like... Apostle Israel Riley said, I wish you can get that book, it will help you. I have a little problem in my life and God will have to help me. After I preach the message, I find it difficult to go back to it. And if I, After writing the book, I don't know how to go back to teach from the book. It's difficult for me, but I pray God will help me. So, I may not be sharing directly from that book tonight. So it's like a build-up, because already people are asking me to do volume 2. And I'm already starting to think about that. Act 18, let's look at 24 to 27. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandra, an eloquent man, I want you to look at the credentials of this man. Eloquent man, a mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and be fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently, the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla heard, they took him unto them, and expanded unto him the word of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into a care, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. There is something I want you to pick from this man's life. Like Apostle Israel started off when we started his conference. The spirit of humility and an open heart to receive that which God is bringing forth at a particular time. This man was eloquent. He was fervent in spirit. He had been taught the word of the Lord. He was a teacher. Not a mean man. But he was limited to the doctrine of John the Baptist. With all those credentials, he still had a limitation. And that's to tell you that we all cannot claim to have gotten it all. And so I want us to have the same spirit that this man had. In our life, Priscilla and Aquila, to expound unto him. So the Bible says he was mighty in scripture. That means he can quote the scriptures. But it has to be an expansion of the things that you know. And I think perhaps that's what we'll be doing this night or what we're doing through this conference. The things we already know, we are already expounding on them. So permit me to do some little expansion tonight. Hallelujah. Amen? Okay. Now, let's turn to the book of Second John, verse 9. 2 John 9. And that's another serious scripture that often challenges me and keeps me in focus. Because it must understand that this business that we are in, if you must do it to get reward, you must do it according to the owner of the business. It's not our business, it's his business. In Second John verse 9, the scripture says, Whosoever transgresseth 
and abided not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abided in the doctrine of Christ, he had both the Father and the Son. I want you to look at that very critically. He that transgresses, what that means is, if you go beyond what he taught, you do not have the Father, you do not have the Son. Now it may surprise you that you do not have the Father, you do not have the Son, and you are doing signs and wonders. Because the scripture simply says, to them that believe all things are possible. In my name they shall cast out devils. That doesn't mean this guy is with you. You see, there has to be a situation where you become the temple of God. That is different from being an errand boy for God. You know, a servant can, can run around in the house, but it's not an heir. So you can do ministry mightily, but you may not be an heir. Only sons who have the father in the house can inherit. So now if you run beyond what Jesus taught, you may be an errand boy, but you can't hear it. He said, he that transgressed it, the doctrines of Christ, and abided not in the doctrine of Christ, have not the Father and the Son. And that will make you sit down as a minister, and say, what did Jesus actually teach? So that I can have him as my Father, that I may become the true tabernacle of God. Because the ultimate is, the tabernacle of God is with man. You can't miss that. Glory to God. Now let's begin to look at a few things. In Acts chapter 1, for instance, and verse 1, the word says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. There are things he began, there are things he taught. Now, if you must follow what he did to have him, then you've got to understand what he taught and what he did. Amen? And that is why if you check as a matter of fact the scriptures, in the book of Acts, at the end of the book of Acts, you don't find a man. Why? Because it's a continuous book. As a matter of fact, it should not be called the book of Acts. It should be called the act of the Holy Ghost. Because it was the Holy Spirit that was working in the apostles to accomplish what they were doing. And the Holy Spirit is still working in us today. That is why there is no amen at the end of the book. So it's a continuous book. So what he began to do and teach, we are finishing. Hallelujah. Now let's see some of the things he began to do and teach. Mark chapter 1. From 14 to 15... Then I go into the area that is going to turn our head upside down. Mark 1, 
14 to 15. Scripture says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Hallelujah. So we know that Jesus taught nothing but what? The kingdom. Even if you look at Acts chapter 1 down, the Bible says for 40 days he was proving and pertaining, everything pertaining to the kingdom of God to the disciples. That is to say, the beginning of his ministry, the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 9, chapter 10, he sent the apostles out to preach nothing but what? The kingdom of God. In Matthew 24, verse 14, 15, he said the same thing. This gospel of the kingdom will be preaching all the nations of the witness before the end shall come. And this is when he rose from the grave for 40 days. He was teaching the kingdom of God. The passion of Jesus was God's kingdom. You can't afford to teach anything less, people of God. You can't be focused on something else other than God's kingdom. Because that was the thing that was driving him all over the place. He said we must also go to the other city. Nothing to do but the kingdom of God must be preached to other people. It is the kingdom that was uppermost in the heart of Jesus. Even when he said, what shall we pray about? Teach us to pray. He simply said, pray our Father which art in heaven. That will be done. And then thy kingdom come. Amen. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It is the kingdom. Even in the prayers, it is the kingdom. Tell me what you teach. Tell me what you pray about. If you understand what the kingdom is, you find that you have no other passion other than to be driven by the kingdom. If you truly understand what it means. I mentioned that in that book. If you look at Romans chapter 14 verse 17. He simply said the kingdom of God is righteousness, is peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's not an abstract thing. Now I'm not going that way tonight, but I'm trying to look at something in, this, in relation to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. This night. And that is where we're going to have some little bit of conflict, but God is going to help us to put things together. Because you see... Jesus spoke to the people some time ago when they were talking about living and he said they thought they didn't carry food and he said beware of the living of the Pharisees. And his own apostles were confused and he told them every tree that my father have not planted shall be what? Uprooted. And he was making reference to the doctrine and the teachings of the Pharisees. There are some things that you have received or we have received which are not of God and they need to be uprooted. Turn with me to the book of Revelation. That's a book that so many of us would not like to read. But we're going to read a portion of it tonight. Revelation 12. I'm going to be teaching from there a little bit. Examining some scriptures along that line. I have to come this way because of the way Apostle Israel started and some of the things he was mentioning. So there were this kind of I don't know. <laughs> Revelation 12, are we there? 
Let's read from verse 7 to 10, then I'm going to pick it verse by verse and do one or two things to that. Revelation 12, 7 to 10. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed no other was their place found anymore in heaven. <laughs> and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan could deceive the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. <laughs> I want to examine some things here. You know something? When I was young in the faith, I was told this has to do with what happened before Christ came. And I heard that this man called Lucifer, in fact, some people told me he was a choir master. Have you heard that before? Yes. Oh, come on. <laughs> that was a choir master in heaven directing the Orchestra of God. <laughs> so, I want to play the, the jazz. He, he, called, he, he was a conductor. <laughs> Over in heaven. And then he decided to wrestle with God and God had to kick him out of the earth. What a beautiful picture. <laughs> it's interesting. And everything is from this passage. Everything is from this passage. But we're going to look at a few things tonight. Praise the Lord. Let me even ask this question. What does it mean for somebody to fall? The fall of Satan or the fall of... The, for instance, the fall of man. Man fell, isn't it? Do you agree man fell? Adam fell, am I right? Where did he fall from? Was he upstairs? So how did he fall? You see, people don't understand this thing. These are simple things. Look at it this way. This is Eden with all glory, all beauty, excellence, dominion, authority. Are you there with me? And then, I am Adam, I sinned, and God said, get out of my garden, and I was driven to this place. Is that okay? Now I have to tear the ground, I have to suffer, I have to do everything right here, I have to sweat to eat here. And Jesus came and said, no dad, enough of that punishment. Let him come back. I'm pleading, interceding, restore him. Are you getting that? Remember, when I came here, I fell. So what do I do to get back to glory? I step back to where I came from. So the fall of man is horizontal and not vertical. You never came from up, so you can go up. Hello? Did you pick that? You didn't drop from heaven so you can go to heaven. That is why the kingdom have to come. So that you can exercise dominion and authority on the face of the earth. Isaiah 45, verse 11, the Bible says, The earth was not created in vain. It was created to be inhabited. And that he has given to the sons of men. So man lost dominion, and that is what you call the fall. 
And when the dominion is restored, which is the glory, you come back to where you left before. God is no longer angry with you. Because of Christ, He has forgiven you. He is no longer angry with you. The glory you lost, now you've gained back again. Do you understand? So walk in dominion. Now I say do what? Walk in dominion. Don't forget this. You didn't fall from heaven, so you don't need to go to heaven. Is that okay? When you say somebody fall, I want to repeat. It means, for instance, if somebody was very wealthy, he had a lot of wealth, and somewhere along the line, he became a pooper. That is, he lost all his wealth and something happened. How do you describe it? You say, that man has fallen. Do you say so? I mean, have you had people say that? Say, that man has fallen. Fall from where? From the glory of the wealth that he had. Am I right? Yes, the man has fallen. People say, I oh, know, so forget about him, he has fallen. He doesn't have anything again. And that's, you are right. And that is what it means for man to fall. You fell when you lost the glory. You didn't drop from the sky. Glory to God. <laughs> now let me show you something. There was one in heaven. Where is heaven? You see, anytime you say heaven, you say up there in the sky. Okay, that's okay. But let me, let me show you some scriptures. Just, I want to look at a few two scriptures for you. Don't be offended. Remember, Apollos have to agree for Priscilla and Aquila to expound. We are looking at a little bit of expansion. Is that okay? Matthew chapter 11. Can we please turn over there? Matthew 11. Let's look at verse... Uh, I think 22, 23 will be okay. Mighty chapter 11. I, I wouldn't want you to... Don't get offended. Just look at the scriptures. There was one in heaven. Let's look at that. Are we there, Matthew? A dark companion, which hath exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which will have been done in thee, have been done in Sodom, it will remain unto this day. But I say unto you, that he shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for the... Now, look at that. Capanion was exalted to heaven. Come on, think about that. Where was Capanion? In Palestine? How did he get to heaven, brother? But the books say Capanion was taken up to heaven and he's going to be cast down. Is it making sense to you? How was he taken to heaven? It was nothing but the prosperity of that city and the presence of Christ. Listen, Capernaum was the headquarter ministry of Jesus Christ. So the signs and wonders and the miracle and the presence of God that was in Capernaum is what brought Capernaum to heaven. It was not the lifter lifting up from the earth. Are you getting what I'm talking about now? And when you say it shall be brought down to hell... I can assure you that the whole of that city, Capania, Chorazin, Bethesda, whatever, all of them were destroyed by the Romans. That is what it means to so be brought down to hell. They lost their glory. But when they abided in that which Christ was doing, they were exalted to a heavenly state of glory. Are you sitting there with me? 
So, let our concept of heaven begin to have a rethink. Jesus made a statement in John chapter 3 verse 16. He was, John 3, the 13 rather. He was speaking to Nicodemus. And he said, no man has ascended up to heaven. Except the son of man who came down from heaven, which is in heaven. He was talking to Nicodemus and he said he was in heaven. Come on, check your book. John 3 verse 13. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and he said, I'm in heaven talking to you right now. How could that have been possible? Somebody on earth talking to somebody, right? He said, I'm in heaven. <laughs> Be serious, sir. Huh? And, and they look at the eighth part of it and say, Nobody has ascended up to heaven, but you thought Elijah went to heaven. Hmm? Chariots. Took him to heaven, am I right? Moses went to heaven, am I correct? So, and but Jesus said, I came from there, they are not there. So, where did they go to? You know what Jesus was saying? As long as the sacrifices were still in place, no man has access to the most holy. He was the true tabernacle. And the Bible said, All those people. They have the promises. But they without us shall not be made perfect. So as long as the tabernacle was standing in the wilderness, Moses, Elijah could not have the fullness of the Father. That's what he mean when he was telling him, I am the one carrying the fullness of the Father. No man can do that. And so Jesus was an interface man. It was both carrying heaven and earth as a being. And that is the same thing God spoke to Abraham. The possessor of heaven and earth. And that's exactly who Adam was. The possessor of heaven and earth. Are you there with me? So of a truth you don't dare to go to heaven. No, not at all. Okay, look at another thing. Praise the Lord. <laughs> eh, this is serious. Can you talk with me to the book of Leviticus chapter 2? I just want to look at a few things with you tonight. Remember there is war in heaven, so I want you to understand where this war is. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1. How have the Lord covered the daughter of Zion? With a cloud in his anger. And cast down from heaven. Unto the earth. The beauty of Israel. And remember not his footstool in the day of his anger. Hey. It means Israel was also in heaven. Leviticus chapter 2. Did you say that? Huh? I mean sorry. Lamentation please. Pardon me. I'm reading lamentation. I'm pronouncing Leviticus. Maybe I was speaking in tongue. He didn't catch me. <laughs> Glory to God. Did you find it? Lamentation? Lamentation chapter 2. Are you there with me now? Hmm? Now, can you see it? Lamentation. You know where lamentation is? After Jeremiah, then you get to lamentation. Is that alright? Look at it. Chapter 2 verse 1. How has the Lord... Covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger. 
and has cast down from heaven unto the earth the beauty of Israel and remember not his footstool in the day of his anger. Is it there? So, where was Israel? In heaven? Was it cast down? Now, did anybody see Israel dropping from the sky? Hallelujah. The glory of God, the promises, the covenant of God, all of those things which God was operating with Israel, brought Israel to a heavenly state of existence. Is that okay? And when they choose not to go with God, God allow other nations to come and put them into captivity. That has been bringing down. That's how they are cast down. And the Bible refers to Israel even in this place as his footstool. What does that mean? You can only find a footstool in relation to the throne. When the king sits down, the legs will rest on the stool while he sits on the throne. So the footstool and the throne, they are one. Now, the footstool is the expression of the authority of the throne. Are you getting what I'm talking about now? So it shows here that Israel was supposed to be the expression or a kind of the governmental authority of God on the face of the earth. That's why I said the earth is my footstool. So it will become the expression of God's divine purposes on the face of the earth. You can't dissociate heaven from earth. Because the earth is the footstool of God, the heaven is where he reigns. You have your head, you have your feet. Your feet can't walk without your head. Neither can your head go plenty without your feet. They are but one. So heaven and earth are one as long as man... Come on. Can you see the ladder of Jacob? The ladder that rests up to heaven. Angels ascending and descending. There is a connection between heaven and earth. They are not separated. Hallelujah. Are you going to know what I'm talking about now? See, see, stop, stop thinking of dying to go to heaven. I don't, we don't have the room, but... I mean, you're thinking about mansions. You are not going anywhere. What's a mansion? Now look at that statement again. In my father's house are many mansions. How can you imagine, how can you imagine God thinking that way? Even you, educated as, as, as little as you can be, you know that mansion is bigger than a house. How can you not have many mansions in a house? You think God is a fool to talk like that? What's wrong with us people? I mean, you mean Jesus didn't go to school to understand the difference between a house and a mansion? Say, my father's house are many mansions. Mansions in a house. And not one, but many. And you take it like that. And you be shouting along the street. That you are preaching gospel. You see, the problem is this, Israel. A brother said this and it's true. You know what? When Muslims go to mosque, they pull their shoes. And when Christians come to church, they remove their head. Oh, you're, you're joking. This is serious. They don't think once they enter church, they don't think anymore. Very unreasonable company of human beings. 
And I mean what I'm talking about. They don't think anymore. Once they enter church, it's just like that. Zombie, one way. Whatever you tell them to do, that is what the Lord says, yes sir. I mean, they don't think. That's why prophets, people who are visionaries, they rob them of all their rights. The Lord is telling me now, okay, what is the Lord saying? Lie down. Yes sir. They will lie down. <laughs> they don't think. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He didn't say, throw away your mind. But you have a difference. He didn't say, cast away your mind. Did he say so? He said, do what? Renew your mind. Use it. In a new way. They don't think, sister, they don't think anymore. That's why they are not like God. Because God is a thinker. I know the thoughts that are doing towards you. Is God a thinker? He thinks. How can you be a child of God and you don't think? And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Why are we behaving this way? So many mansions, you've been in buildings for 2,000 years, he's building one mansion, he has not finished. That's why you have not gone. Because <laughs> he has not finished for you to go. You won't go because it's not finishing. <laughs> now your own is not finished. So if you go, you are staying outside. <laughs> it's a crazy thing, man. Hey! <laughs> God help his people. Mansions. <laughs> <laughs> you are not going anywhere. This man is still walking. He has not finished. Your building is still under construction. 2,000 years ago. <laughs> and he's not finishing because he's taking his time. <laughs> oh God Almighty. <laughs> Christians, wake up. Hmm? Wake up. You see a lot of lawyers and doctors when they go to church, they don't know anything anymore. They can think. Serious. We will discuss mansion some other time, not today. Eh? Hallelujah. But you see, Israel was taken up to heaven. Is that okay? Am I correct? From the scriptures, Lamentation 2. Israel was in heaven, Capernaum was in heaven. So heaven is not far. Am I right? <laughs> now let me show you something. <clears throat> I told you I'm only reasoning with you. I'm not teaching you. Because you are great people of God. I don't undermine your intelligence. You are wonderful people. Huh? That I know. Isaiah 14. <laughs> Glory to God. Isaiah 14. I'm sure everybody knows the story of Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14 is directly connected to Revelation 12 from the way we teach it in our Sunday school. That is where Lucifer fell. Hmm? You know the story of Lucifer? Hey, the musician. Ha <laughs> ha. Wonderful. Hmm. Let's look at this. <clears throat> Verse 12. I'm starting from. How is that falling? Are you there, Verse 12? From where? From heaven. Now, you already know what it means to fall from heaven now. Am I correct? 
So, how did Lucifer fall? Drop from the sky? Give him the boot? Absolutely not. But can I help you tonight? This had nothing whatsoever to do with an angel. The whole of the description, I can bet you for anything for it. The whole of the description of Isaiah chapter 14 has to do with Nebuchadnezzar and not an angel. Go and start reading from chapter 13. And we know that he describing Nebuchadnezzar, how great he was. How that, when he talk about instrument of music, he's talking about how people used to play music for the kings as David was playing for Saul. Not because there was an angel playing music in heaven. Everything here you see is Nebuchadnezzar. That nothing to do with an angel. The translators bring it in front of the world. Morning star, Lucifer, morning star, in fact, the original is not like that. But there are some things I'm going to point out to you now, so that you can understand what I mean. No, we don't have time to do all of that. But I told you, go back home, start reading from chapter 13 of Isaiah. Do you understand? And you will know that this picture is about Nebuchadnezzar. I read a book some years back by, is it Conrad or so? He made a clear statement of this fact. The title of that book is The Devil Did Not Make Me Do It. And I like it. And those are the kind of books I like reading because when you do something, say the devil, take responsibility, my friend. Is that okay? You can't do stupid things and you begin to call some somebody just walking on his way. You are the one that's accusing the accuser. That man is just on his own. Do you know the devil doesn't even look for your trouble? Are you saying, how? Uh, God asked him, what are you doing? He said, I'm just walking to and fro. I don't look for somebody's trouble. He said, you mean you have no business? He said, no, sir. It's okay. Since you are doing nothing, you consider Job. Huh? You create your own trouble and begin to accuse him. Or sometimes because you don't stay in one place too, you walk to and fro, you go and collide with him on the street. Both of you walking to and fro. Look at it. Huh. It's serious. How art thou fallen? Hmm? O Lucifer, son of the morning. How art thou come down to the ground? With the weakened the nations. Look at that. With the weakened the nations. He's talking of the strength of Nebuchadnezzar, which he was dealing with other kings. Now I'm going to prove everything to you now. Praise the Lord. Now. <laughs> Let me not even talk about morning star. Morning star, son of the morning, and so on and so forth. If you look at Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, you are going to see something there. The Bible says, We also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, until the morning star arises in our heart. Are you saying Lucifer is going to arise in your heart? Now let's leave that alone, but let me go down and show you the other things that will make you see what I'm saying. Look at verse, verse 13. For thou hast said in the heart, I will ascend into heaven. Now, if both of them were in heaven, which heaven is he ascending to? This is where we don't think. You said he's playing music, eh? all of us are in this place. And I will not say I'm ascending unto heaven. So where was God? 
Am I talking? Huh? Because we believe that Lucifer, who was an angel, in fact they call him Archangel, which is a big lie. Because there is only one Archangel in the scripture. If you understand what the word Archangel means, there can never be two Archangels. Archangel simply means chief angel, or the first. And there is only one first or chief angel, and that is Jesus Christ, who was never an Archangel. That's, that's human theology. That is Sunday school materials. Amen? Look at this. Look at it very critically. <laughs> I, I, look at it. For thou hast said in the heart, I will ascend into heaven. So he was not in heaven then. Because you can't be in heaven and be ascending to heaven. Am I correct? Don't you see why we don't think? I cannot be in heaven and I say, okay, I'm going to ascend to heaven. And that will offend God. That means God himself was not in heaven. What Nebuchadnezzar is saying here is like the same thing Jesus said when he said, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Nebuchadnezzar was looking at how he can rule the whole world with conquering ability. He didn't know it was God that ordained him to become such a strong ruler. It was the same spirit that was working in Hitler. You know, Hitler wanted to make Africa his farmyard. Is that okay? That was his plan. He was conquering. So when he hit Africa, he would turn Africa to a farmland. That is the same ambition this man had. Because he was conquering people. That's what he meant when he said, I will ascend to heaven. If you think both of them will heaven, which heaven is he ascended to again? Hallelujah. Look at the next thing he said. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Stars of God. Who are the stars of God? The children of God. Isn't it? And this is directly connected to Israel. Specifically the house of Judah. I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars of God. means I am going to conquer Israel. It's not something up in the sky. <laughs> Glory to God. The next thing he said is, I will sit. What does it mean to sit? To rule. Also upon the mount of the congregation, in the sides of the north. What size of the north? You want me to show you that? <laughs> Psalm 48 verse 2. Read it in your Bible. I'm going to extend my throne. So I'm going to sit upon the mount of the congregation and the size of the north. Are you there in Psalm 48? Verse number 2, what did he say? Great is the Lord and great is we praise in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for citation, 
is Mount Zion to the side of the north. Is it there? That is where he said he wants to be. So who are the side of the north? The children of Israel. The house of Judah. Jeremiah 15, 14 tells you that. The house of Judah. They are the people to the side of the north. The mountain of his holiness. Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to rule over them. He wasn't talking of something as stars of God and you think he's talking of something up in the sky. No, he was talking to people. Hallelujah. <laughs> in Jeremiah chapter 25, let me prove something to you. Jeremiah 25, verse number 8 and 9. Therefore thus said the Lord of hosts, because he has not heard my words, God is speaking, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, said the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, <laughs> and I will bring them against this land, and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about, I will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, and a hissing, and a perpetual desolation. Can you see the picture there? Families of the north, check chapter 15 verse 4, you see that is the house of Judah. So when he said, I will exalt my throne and sit upon the mount of the congregation to the side of the north, he's talking about the house of Israel. Are you following me? Amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Are you true with that? Go to verse 14. Isaiah 14, 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. What clouds? We're still talking about the sons of God, the clouds of glory. Amen? If you look at the book of Jude, 11 and 12, he talked about Cain, talked about Balaam, talked about Corey, and he called them, they are clouds without water. The sons of God who are full of glory are clouds with water. So he's not talking about this empty space. My friend, listen, when God uses languages, don't be looking at the elements in a natural sense. In Hebrew 12 verse 1, the Bible says we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Which have to do with the heroes of faith. Clouds are people. Clouds are people. Those who are full of His glory are clouds with water. Those who are empty and just like Balaam and the rest of the people, the Bible refers to them as clouds without water. Glory to God. Are you getting this? Amen? Amen? So we're talking about the body of Christ in the real sense. We are clouds of glory. And that's honestly, that is where it's coming through. That is what it's riding through. It's riding through the clouds of glory. We are the clouds of glory. 
He said, you shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of glory. And you think it's the empty space. Mm-mm, he didn't go through that. A time will not permit me to share with you. If you look at Acts chapter 1, down to chapter 2, and when you begin to see where the Bible says, after he finished talking with them, 10 down to 11, he said, and as they behold, a cloud took him out of their sight. Have you read that scripture? Do you know if you don't take care, you will not notice something there. The Bible didn't say cloud. It said a cloud took him out of their sight. Check your Bible. It's a singular cloud that took Jesus, not clouds. Is that okay? And what cloud was that? If I may just bring this in. It's not this lumbus and cumulus you see up there. It's not this one that planes are dodging. That is not what took Jesus away. You know the cloud that took him away? Can I show you? The Mount of Transfiguration, a cloud overshadowed the mountain. And the tabernacle, a cloud came in there. It was difficult for the priest to minister. Are you for the one you're talking about now? When Mary was to conceive, a cloud overshadowed her. And out of that cloud, something came into Mary, and that was Jesus. It was the same cloud that he went through and went off. That is why when they were looking up, two men came and said, Man, why are you gazing up in the sky? For this same Jesus, you see, go shall come in like manner. How did he come in a cloud? How did he go in a cloud? How is he coming today? In a cloud! It's not talking of this empty space. That's what I said. Why are you gazing? When you gaze, you are looking foolishly. And he told the ye men of Galilee, who were the Galileans? They were his disciples. Because it was in Antioch that they called them Christians. And so Hebrews will tell us, Hebrews chapter 9, the last verse, says to them that seek for him, shall he appear a second time? And he said, but the Bible say, oh, I shall see him in the cloud. Shall we are the cloud of glory. He will see us. Yes, they will see Christ in us. And I'm going to show that to you from the scripture. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's move on now. The last thing that Nebuchadnezzar said, because I'm not referring to him as Lucifer, because that's what confused you in the beginning. So the last thing that Nebuchadnezzar said here is, I will be like the Most High. What does that mean? I'll be like the Most High. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Have you read Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4? It talks about he that seated in the temple of God, calling himself as what? God! Isn't it? That's what he's saying is, I'm going to usurp the authority that God is supposed to have in his people. I will be like the Most High because I am not going to be the one to rule over the children of Israel. So Thessalonians will say, he's sitting in the temple of God, calling himself God. Did you get that? Come on, am I talking to somebody? <laughs> Glory to God. That is how it becomes like the Most High. Because you want to sit in the temple of God. Which temple ye are? The message is coming home now. Hallelujah. And so verse 15 now says, Thou shalt be brought down to hell to the size of the pit. And he said, They that see thee, verse 16, shall not only really look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man? Not the angel. Look at that. Isaiah 14, 16. Are you there with me? Go back there. Go back there if you are not there. Isaiah 14, 16. Come on. Look at it. 
They that see thee shall not only look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that make the earth to tremble, that shake what? Kingdoms. Can you get it there? That is after Nebuchadnezzar has fallen. After his glory has been removed. Remember in Jeremiah 25, he said, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. Did he say so? He didn't realize it was God that was empowering him to do whatever thing he was doing. He said, I raise up kingdoms and I bring down kingdoms. I raise up kings and I bring down kings. He didn't know that God raised him to deal with Israel, which has to do with the congregation that he studied not, because of the way they behave. Nebuchadnezzar didn't know. And he said, I'm going to bring you down. And when men look at you, they'll be wondering, is this this man that shook the whole nations with all of his power? How was the fall of Babylon? He was talking to a man. He was not talking to an angel. You call him an angel. This man is a man. He said, but it's a light bring us sure. Some discipline bring understanding to you. So sometimes Satan is a good instrument anyway. You got me wrong now. Hey, but Paul said that. My, I mean, First Corinthians 5.5. 5, the brother was taking on, taking on incense with the father's wife also. What did Paul say they should do? Say, cast him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. That's not a bad thing. Is it about him? <laughs> and Paul said, Hermanus and Alexander have cast them over to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. Is that about him? He brought light. Satan can bring light to you, man. It's like a mad dog in the house. Hmm? God just put a chain on this dog. Anytime you are misbehaving, you release the dog. Glory to God. And when you finish the assignment, he pulls the dog back again. So sometimes when you bind devil, he doesn't get bound because God releases the dog. You spend all your time reconciling with God, the dog will go back. <laughs> For if your way please the Lord, he make it even your enemies to be at peace with you. You buy any devil, why well, you're wasting all your time? Just go reconcile to God and he make all your enemies to be at peace with you. It's the easiest way instead of spending all night buying the devil. I don't have time for that business. The devil comes to me and I say, God, what's the trouble? Can we reconcile? Let this dog go back. Hmm? First reconcile, let this dog go back. That's the quickest way so that you can sleep well. Some of you don't sleep. I used to tell this guy, but I don't have time for this kind of thing you are doing. Because the Lord that watches over you and never sleep, no slumber. He is not sleeping as you sleep. Come on now. I yeah. don't sleep, he's not sleeping. So who is watching who? <laughs> have I become God watching over God? He is the one that never sleep, no slumber. So I should sleep and become fresh. Because I know he's watching over me. This is gospel made simple, huh? Easy. Hallelujah. If your way please the Lord, He maketh even your enemies to be at peace with you. Your enemies, the strongest enemy you think you have, will be at peace with you. They may even serve you. Hallelujah. 
I love Jesus. Amen. Why in heaven? Can we get back now to Revelation 14? I mean 12. <laughs> Why in heaven? It's an interesting thing. Let's look at verse 7 again. Revelation 12 verse 7. Glory to God. And there was one in heaven, Michael, and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels. Now, what do you mean the dragon and Michael? Michael simply means who is like God. Only Jesus is like God. Michael here means Jesus. He's the guiding angel of the Israelites. You find that in the book of Daniel. Are you listening to me? It's not another archangel. No! Come on, man. This is Jesus. Is that okay? Who are his angels? His followers. <laughs> the dragon. What dragon is this? Listen. The same dragon, as you read the Bible, say this dragon, the serpent, the whatever. Is that not so? In the book of Genesis, it was a little serpent. One seed became a serpent. The serpent multiplied to become what? A dragon. You know what that means? It's multiplying through you. Huh? Human beings carried and become the expression of the serpent's seed. So it becomes a monster in the sea of humanity. Just like the little seed in Christ is multiplying to become the body of Christ on the face of the earth. So when you have the body of Christ, that is the system of Christ, the beast is the system of the devil. So here we are dealing with human beings who are not the expression of the ministers of satanic influence. Warring against the saints of God. What you should consider in the book of Revelation here is directly connected to the fact that then the Roman Empire was in power and there was heavy oppression and persecution against the Christian community in Rome. Is that okay? It has nothing to do with something upstairs. It's just simply a war between the forces of darkness and the forces of light. Hallelujah. I know where I'm going, and I'm going to make you see it very soon. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let me show you something. If you turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, in relation to the war, 2 Corinthians, if you look at verse 3 to 5, the Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imagination and every high thing and exalted itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That is the real war. Now you see, when you read the scripture ordinarily, what comes to the mind of people is spiritual warfare. But you see, what Paul is saying here is this. We got an understanding that we can use to pull down the understandings of men. Strongholds are not demonic something. Strongholds are thoughts in people's mind. 
So anytime strongholds are mentioned, you are looking at a cohort, you are looking at an enclave where witches are pregnant. No, man, come back home. Strongholds mean thoughts in people's minds. Paul was speaking about the philosophy that was operating at that time. That makes it difficult for people to accept the simplicity of the gospel. He said, we know what to do to remove this thing from the mind so that we can penetrate into the heart that it might come into obedience to Christ. That is the real warfare. So we're looking at two opposing parties or, or camps. Those who carry the gospel and those who are on the other side saying, we can't receive the gospel. Instead, we need to destroy the people. Can you remember the question that Jesus asked Paul on the road to Damascus? He says, so, so, why persecuted thou me? Did, did, did see Paul slap Jesus? Come on, talk to me. Did you see Paul slap Jesus? Spat on Jesus? But he was touching Jesus because he was touching his body. Because Christ was in his body. Now, until you understand that even as you are now, you are with him, you will never, never benefit from his presence. Hallelujah. Let's write down a little bit. <laughs> I don't know how to finish up this with you. So this is the reason. So when he said the great dragon was cut out, that old one, verse number 9 for instance, called the devil and Satan could deceive the whole world, he was cast out into the threat, and his angels were cast out with him. The heading power, I take my note here, the heading power is called the old serpent, which deceived the world from its subjects, I mean, the tricks and subjects against the Christians, making the whole of the Roman Empire, as far as it was in its power, to embrace the absurdity of paganism. It is called the devil here because of his continued false accusation and slanders against the true worshippers of God. Satan, it is called here, which is from the Hebrew word, signifying an adversary. This is to, in relation to the frequent persecutions of the Christian church. The, it is a dragon and its angels were cast out, not to be found no longer in heaven, or on the throne of the Roman Empire. From his circle perspective. Do you understand what I'm talking about now? When Christianity was advancing, there were structures that were on ground, emperor's worship was on ground, so that it was difficult for Christianity to penetrate. So there was a war. Hallelujah. How do we bring Christianity to Rome? And there are all these thoughts and paganistic worship, emperor worship, they were all there resisting the advancement of Christianity. That was a war. And Christ and his body, we are moving. And Satan as we are in his body, we are also moving. <laughs> Glory to God. We are talking of being dethroned from all the offices at the end of the day. Of trust in the empire, which is paganistic and religious worship. First only tolerated and then totally abolished by the imperial power. You remember Constantine? Those of you read history, can you remember? Constantine, what he did in Constantinople. Are you following what I'm talking about now? That is the defeat of the dragon in the system. 
It was not a day's job. It took time. It was a long walk. And we think it was worth Lucifer did somewhere up in the heaven. No, man. <laughs> Why am I reading all of these things? I'll soon make you understand. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I said paganism received several motor strokes in the time of Constantine and his sons, Constance and Constantius. It was further reduced by the great zeal of Jovian, Valentinian, if you read this, you get all of these things, and Valens, but finally suppressed by the edict of Gratian, Theodosius I and his successor. It was not till AD 388 that Rome itself, the resident of the emperor, was generally reformed from the tricks and deception of paganism. But the total suppression of paganism soon followed the, the conversion of the metropolitan city, and at about AD 395, the dragon may be considered in an eminent sense to have been cast into the earth, that is, into a state of utter subjection to the ruling dynasty of Christian emperors. When Christian emperors rules, paganism finally was obliterated in Rome. That is the war of Michael and his angel, and the dragon and his angels. Hallelujah. It has nothing to do with anything that happened some years back. Now let me ask this question. If you think Satan fell some years back, how come he's falling again in the book of Revelation? How many times did he fall? Now I have another question for you. <coughs> Look at Revelation, Revelation 12 again verse 9, then we are going to go to Luke and I'll show you something. Revelation 12, are you there with me? Let me interpret that for you. And the, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now look at Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 20. How is he cast out? Look at it. Luke 10, very quickly. 17. And the 70 returned again with joy. Jesus sent them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through their name. Are you there? And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning do what? Fall from heaven. Hallelujah. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by enemies hurt you. Notwithstanding, it is rejoice, know that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now hear that. I beheld Satan. Now, why did Jesus make that statement? Because the, the disciples came and said, Hey, in your name, the demons were subject unto us. Are you following what I'm talking about now? And Jesus turned around and said, I saw Satan fall. Now, but we thought he had already fallen some years back. Which one is this? Which Satan is this one falling again now? How many times did Satan fall? You know what Jesus was saying here? He was simply saying, <laughs> I've seen the end of what Satan is doing. As soon as I get to the cross, he's finished. I send you and they are subject unto you. When I go to the cross, he's finished. Let me show that to you, John chapter 12. Very quickly. 
Very quickly, so that you can understand what I'm saying. John 12. <laughs> Look at verse 20. Are you done with me? And there were certain grace among them that came up to worship at the, at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, and of Galilee, and desiring, saying, Sir, we will see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip and telleth Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Are you there with me? Now, come on, think about this. For, okay, let's finish reading. And Jesus answered them, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, very I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abided alone. But if it die, bring it forth much fruit. Okay? Now just move very quickly to verse 30 and 31. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be what? Come on. Is it that? What's the connection between this one and the one of Luke? What he's saying here is this. Remember, Philip came and said, Sir, they want to see you. Do you understand that? Now instead of telling them, Okay, you tell them I'm just trying to get a coffee, or maybe I'm brushing my mouth, or let me just dress up, let them wait. He said, The hour, the time, the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified has come. Can you picture what he's trying to tell Philip now? What he's telling Philip now is this is because I'm alone, that's why you're telling people to come and look for me. Then now I'm going to go to the cross, and when I die, I'm going to multiply myself into every one of you. Now, whoever needs to look for Jesus, to see Jesus, do you feel it? Now come to me. Did you get the picture? And Jesus calls that his glorification, his honor, that he will multiply himself in his people. You know it's a difficult thing to say. If you have seen me, you have seen Jesus. It's hard. But that is what he wants us to say. He said, who sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Look at Philip. Come and say, they want to see you. He said, well, the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified is come. Because if a corn of wheat remains, he abides alone. But if he falls to the ground and die, he brings forth much fruit. So friends, Christ is in you, is in you, is in you, is in you, is in you. Come on, Christ is in everyone. Wherever you are, he is in you. Are you picking this? That's why I love what Apostle said yesterday. In the book of Acts chapter 2, I think verse 36. Hmm? This same Jesus, whom you crucified, God have changed. Do you understand that? Transform into Christ and the Lord. It's no longer one person. And Paul will say, See we no man, or don't look at any man after the flesh. Though if he have known Christ after the flesh, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Don't look for a human being called Jesus. You won't see him. You just can't see one. It's not coming in the way you are expecting it. But he keeps coming. <laughs> he came yesterday, he's coming now. <laughs> he shall knock at the door if you open, I will come in. Did he come in? Who came to you? 
Did you open your heart? That's another subject entirely. He said, Philip, you don't need to be looking for people. People don't need to be looking for one man called Jesus. That's why when people say he's coming to Palestine, he's going to build a temple there, and he will land on my olive. Some of you can be able to go there. You won't have money to pay for your ticket, man. We're going to miss this guy. He made it easy, but we want to make it difficult. He said, wherever you are, I'll be there. We say, no, go to Palestine, we will come. How are you going to get money to fly to a ticket to Palestine? This man wants to stay in your bedroom, but you want to go and meet him in Palestine. That's what your theology is teaching you. He will come one day and will land on Mount Olive. He will split into two. That's another subject entirely. If you understand what it means to land on Mount Olive. One leg on this side, one leg on this side. Hey man, story. He made it easy. So I'm coming. Wherever you are. Say, Lo, I'm with you. Till the end of the age. And you want to go to Palestine. How much do you have in your bank account to travel? And by the way, <laughs> what makes you think you have access to him? Because by the time the man will be in that room, come on, think about the queue. Huh? Oh, come on now. Think about the queue. You can't get access to that man. You will die in Palestine. So I don't need to go there. Because he's with me. He talks with me. He lifts me every day. He guides me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's see if we can pick this. Now, remember what he said. Now shall the priest of this world be world cast out. From where? Ephesians 2. Hey. Let's find out where he is. Ephesians 2. Are you there with me? Let's start reading from verse number 1. And you had a quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walk according to the prince of the cause of this war. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now walketh in the children of disobedience. So that spirit was in your heart. Sitting as one in the temple of God. Which was what? Nebuchadnezzar was really described. Are you getting what I'm talking about now? Now, he's casting it out of you. And what happens when the spirit is cast out? Another spirit comes in. And that is why the Bible tells us in Luke 17, the kingdom of God is within you. And I proved that to you from Matthew chapter 12. Our time is fast spent, so let's just quickly rush this out. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. You can read that for yourself. What did he say? If I cast out devils... With the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Can you see it now? Fine. And that is why there was that shout. When the Bible says, Satan was cast out. Say, now is come. Salvation, strength, the Christ, and the kingdom of our God. How could it have been that this thing happened in heaven and they are shouting there? Where did the kingdom come? Hallelujah. So who are those in heaven? We are. You say, how is that David? Oh, come on. Colossians 1, I mean Colossians 3 says that. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where are seated on the right hand of God. If you have been risen with Him. So when the Bible says, those in heaven rejoice, we are the people in heaven. Because now we become the temple of God and God resides within us. Are you following what I'm talking about now? And God cannot live anywhere outside of heaven. Is God in you? So where are you? No, you are in hell. <laughs> that is your, you see, even if you are in hell, you will still come there. Hey, David said that. Say, even if I make my bed in hell, behold, here you are. This man has refused to leave you, man. God will find you out. Because, hey, wherever you are, he will look for you. Are you following what I'm talking about? He said he is the vine and we are the branches. How can you have a tree in a location and the branch is not there? 
Come on, did he say so? Come on, are you listening to me? He said, I am the vine, and you are what? The branches. Did he say so? Oh, you have the vine in heaven, and the branches in earth. How can that be possible? Last week, I stumbled on a book written by Washman Nee. It's called, What Shall This Man Do? As I opened the first page, as I just opened the book, I opened a page where his money made a statement. How many of you know about Watchman Nee? You know that I have revelation from God. And the statement he made it, the church doesn't go to heaven, the church is already in heaven. I'm so glad about that. These are the kind of people I like to work with. The Bible says we are sitting together with him where? In heavenly places. Do you want to go to? I, I see. Take your mind away from mansion business because there is nothing like that. Is that okay? What is the father's house? Testimony 3:15. Paul was writing and said, "If I tarry, that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church, the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church is the house of God." First Timothy 3:15. What Jesus say, my father's house. What he was saying is this. You even know why he started that before? You can't understand John 14 first. That is verse 1 and 2 until you read John 13. Because in John 13, he washed their feet and he told them he was going to die, so they were in sorrow. And he now told them, <laughs> Hallelujah. Let not your heart be troubled. Can you see the connection? If you believe God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If you don't, so I will have told you. I go and prepare a place. He didn't say he's going to prepare a house. He wants to prepare a place. What is the place? A place of inheritance. How does he come? When he goes to the cross, he will die. When we have an inheritance in the house of God. And that's why you find in Colossians chapter 1 from 12 to 13. And we were translated into the kingdom of his dear son to have an inheritance. He prepared a place that you may have a place to the cross. As a son in the father's house. Is that alright? Remember when Apostle, I mean King, King David, for instance, was running away from Saul. He went to the cave of Abdullam. I think that's First Samuel chapter 22, I can't remember precisely. He went to the cave in Abdullam and then the Bible says, his brethren, his relations, and his father's house came to him. Did you imagine David's father's brethren moving down to the cave to meet him? What a blunder. The father's house came to him in the grave. I mean in the cave there. What about Joseph? Genesis 50-51. The Bible says, And the father's house came to Joseph in Egypt. And God told Abraham, Leave your father's house. And Gideon will say, I am the least in the father's house. What is he talking about? I am the least among my people. Father's house simply means relations, people. We have nothing to do with the building. So Jesus was simply admonishing the disciples and encouraging them. You are not alone. There are other believers. You are not alone. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Are you there with me? Okay, let me try and pick, and pick up now. So, the Bible says there was rejoicing in heaven, Revelation 12, because the devil had been cast out. You understand that? And so, you think it's up there in the sky? No, it's not up in the sky. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 1, the Bible says, Give ye all heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Who was Moses addressing? <laughs> because, you see, when you look at that revelation, say, Rejoice, O heaven, and woe unto you, the habitats of the earth. What he's saying there is this. According to this Deuteronomy, he's addressing the priesthood and the rest of the people. Hear, O heaven, and hear, O earth. And that also is a principle of double witness. According to Dr. Steve. Hmm? Praise God. Amen? That was the principle of double witness. But hear, O heavens, those of you who are in the priesthood, and hear, O earth, those of you to whom have been ruled. 
the words of God. Those of us in the heavenly place are addressed as those dwellers in heaven. The dwellers in heaven. And then the inhabitants of the earth, these are those who are carnally minded. To be carnally minded is what? Is dead. The Bible says, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Can you find that? First Corinthians 15. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So there are people that are not carrying the image of the heavenly, they are called heavenly dwellers. Why those who still carry the image of Adam, they are called the earthly dwellers. And woe unto them. That's what the Bible is saying. That has nothing to do with somebody dropping from this outer space. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? Are you following what I'm saying? So what are we saying here? The kingdom of God is come. Now, I want you to look at that statement. He said, there was this rejoicing. Now is come salvation, the strength, and the kingdom of our God. For the dragon of Satan has been cast out. So when Satan is cast out, the next thing you experience is what? God's kingdom. And what is that kingdom? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Are you sure? And that is the expression of the kingdom. That means God wants you to be at peace, not just peace within yourself, but peace among yourselves. Seek for those things that make for peace, the Bible says. If you truly have the kingdom and the peace of God residing with you, you are supposed to be at peace with your brother. Why the message of the kingdom is so relevant is because that is the only message that can truly produce peace upon the face of the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? The children of God. Can you get that? Come on, can you get that? And that's an expression of the kingdom. Like my brother was speaking yesterday. How can two brothers be so confronting just because of a little misunderstanding and they can't reconcile themselves? They are not kingdom-minded people. Praise the living of somebody. And we're talking about the righteousness of God. We're talking on right standing, doing the things that are right before God. And there is joy of the Holy Spirit, which no man can take from you. Even in the midst of persecution, no man can take that joy from you. Say the joy I give unto you is not the type that the world gives. Can you get what I'm talking about? That is the joy of the kingdom. Three major things happen to you when you enter into the kingdom. You begin to live in righteousness. The peace of the Lord will overwhelm you. Now let me tell you something. Can you imagine somebody being in a big storm like Jesus? The storm was there with disciples and yet the man was sleeping on the pillow. How wonderful. Why will he be sleeping on the pillow? Because he had the peace that passes all understanding. And that is what God intends to give to you. In the midst of your difficulties He shall grant you the peace that passes all understanding. I declare to you today, Satan has been cast out of your life. There is another throne, another dominion now in your life and that is the kingdom of our Father and God is ruling and reigning in and through you. Hallelujah. Your spirit has become the throne of God. I declare to you that you have freedom in Christ because that is what he died for. God bless you.